it was really disappointing for me to see that that was mm-hmm. also here and I, I notice it more in the prairies because whenever I go to other provinces it's not as visual or as yeah. out loud I'm, I'm not sure if the experience is the same but here it was definitely a bit of a shock when I first moved here just seeing how openly racist people were and I was just like well I thought Canadians were nice but yeah apparently not. no no Welcome to The Scaries, brought to you by Race Her Coat. I'm Sky, And I'm Talitha. We are proudly broadcasting, as always, from Treaty 4 territory. And in each episode, we tackle the alarming, inconceivable, questionable, shocking, and scary statistics relating to impacting and intervening with the lives of women and girls worldwide. You'll hear the scary truth, take away tools and tips, and learn about what you can do about it. And really, The Scaries is a opportunity to raise awareness, share resources, and use our voices as women and supporters of women to make some real change. We'd also like to note that the views expressed in this podcast are solely our own. It's for entertainment purposes only. And uh, we will be sharing some statistics that could be triggering to you. So please listen with caution. As straight, cisgender, white, able-bodied settler women, we are aware of the privilege that we have, and we want to use this platform to spread awareness about the scary reality that women from around the world face in different life situations. And why? Because nothing is scarier than being a woman. All right. Welcome, Scaries fam. If you've been tuning in regularly, you might have picked up on some reoccurring themes across our episodes, Mm -hmm. really being the significant impact that the intersectional traits of one's identity have on women and the lived Mm -hmm. experiences and how that impacts how they go through life. And these aspects could include race, culture, sexual orientation, gender expression, geographical location, abilities, among many others. And they're really the facets that contribute to heightened levels of inequality and present additional challenges, many more additional challenges for women who have those aspects in their lives. So for today's episode, we will be digging into one area of this a bit more, and we'll be sharing some statistics and hearing some personal lived experiences and stories from a guest, specifically about the disproportionate challenges that immigrant and migrant women face compared to Canadian-born people. So living in Canada, we count ourselves very lucky that Canada is a diverse and multicultural country that fundamentally values and celebrates diversity. And women from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds can find support and community in Canada's diverse cultural landscapes, and many organizations and initiatives exist to promote equity and inclusion. Of course, there's still a lot to achieve, and today we are going to discuss some of the current statistics, facts, and trends related to immigrant women in Canada in 2024. Across the board, our research tells us that immigrant women, regardless of where they come from, often face unique challenges as they navigate new cultures, languages, and societal norms. These challenges are compounded by various factors, including discrimination, poverty, violence, economic disparities, difficulty entering the workforce, and limited resource access. So let's take a closer look at some of the sobering statistics that shed light on the realities immigrant women encounter. 
take it away, Sky. Will do. Okay. So first, as always, we're going to go through some different definitions. So we're on the same page. So what is the difference between a migrant and an immigrant? The word migrant refers to someone who moves to other places in search of work or better living conditions, often for a shorter period of time. So they're not mm. always here to stay. The word immigrant refers to those who have moved to foreign countries permanently for work or for better living conditions. In Canada, a migrant is often narrowly applied to foreign workers without permanent residency status. So that's the big difference. One's permanent, one's not necessarily um, whether or not they want it because they don't have status or, yeah. you know, they haven't attained that. Yet. I 1000% use those like interchangeably. Me before. too. I so was like, this is news for all of us. <laughs> yeah. So technically all non-Indigenous Canadians are immigrants or descendants of immigrants, immigrants. Yet the terms migrant and immigrant are often equated with racialized minorities and oftentimes used to promote fear and distrust of others who are different. Mm -hmm. Immigration policies also defines desirable versus undesirable immigrants. Historically, white Protestant British applicants were preferred. Classic. Thankfully, these policies uh, that were obviously discriminatory were abandoned when Canada adopted a points-based system in the 1960s. So if we look back 100 years ago, about 38.7% of immigrants were women and girls. And this rose to 52.3% by 2011. And the numbers of women and girls migrating from European countries has decreased over the last few decades. However, the number of uh, women and girls from Asia, the Middle East, and Africa has increased. Oh, that's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. There are two other concepts that we need to define to set the stage for immigrating into the United States or Canada specifically. So it's melting pot versus multiculturalism. Immigrant women arriving in Canada or the United States often grapple with a profound conflict. It's the pressure to choose between assimilating into a dominant culture or preserving their own heritage. And this dilemma arises from the complex interplay of societal expectations, family dynamics, and personal identity. The concepts of the melting pot, quote unquote, in the the United States and multiculturalism in Canada reflect different approaches to managing diversity and fostering national identity. The United States has historically been described as a melting pot where immigrants from diverse backgrounds are expected to assimilate into a singular American identity. This metaphor suggests that immigrants' cultural experiences and differences are expected to blend together, often resulting in a homogenized national culture. In the melting pot model, there's an emphasis on adopting a common language, English, mm -hmm. cultural practices, and values as a means of integration. While diversity is acknowledged, the emphasis is on unity through assimilation. On the other hand, Canada has adopted a policy of multiculturalism, which recognizes and celebrates the cultural diversity within the country. Unlike the melting pot model, multiculturalism promotes the coexistence of different cultural groups while allowing individuals to maintain their distinct identities, languages, and traditions. In Canada, multiculturalism is enshrined in the Canadian Multiculturalism Act of 1988, which affirms the importance of preserving and enhancing cultural diversity as a fundamental characteristic of Canadian identity. Rather than assimilation, the emphasis in Canada is on inclusion, acceptance, and accommodation of various cultural backgrounds. However, that doesn't mean it goes without its challenges. And assimilation can provide chances for jobs, education, fitting and fitting into society. However, it may mean giving up one's cultural identity, language, traditions, leading to feeling disconnected from one's roots and a sense of not belonging. On the other hand, immigrant women might strongly want to keep their cultural heritage alive for the next generation. 
rightfully so. Their cultural identity is a source of pride and family ties. Yet this can clash with the pressure to fit into the norms of the new society. They might face discrimination and stereotypes if they keep visible signs of their culture, like traditional clothes and language, or, you know, maybe they just go about different things differently, um, mm-hmm. maybe not celebrating certain holidays that we all celebrate. So there's lots of things that can cause uh stereotypes or biases to come out and additionally the fear of being seen as different or facing criticism from their community or for adopting western values adds another layer of complexity so you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't immigrant women often find themselves torn between wanting to belong and staying true to their roots trying to balance assimilation and preserving their culture as they integrate into society so since we're Canadian and share a lot of information from the Canadian context, that's where we will keep a lot of the stats today. So why come to Canada? Why immigrate? Immigrant women are diverse and come to Canada for many reasons. So push factors, quote unquote, such as dangerous situations like war and famine and pull factors like employment and education opportunities play a role. Some immigrants have family in Canada who can sponsor them. Others have no ties but want to establish new lives, networks and enterprises. Despite these differences, immigrant women share many struggles and the desire to improve their conditions. Regardless of what brings them, immigrant women enhance Canada socially, politically, and economically, and yet they face a lot of systemic discrimination. Because more women come as dependents of men or as accompanying family members, there are also widespread perceptions that immigrant women trail their spouses, have few qualifications, do not engage in paid work, and are a drain on the system. Great. So here's another fun fact. As of October 1st, 2023, Canada's population was estimated at 40,520,396. I don't even know how to say this number, but (laughs) around four and a half million, 40 and a half million, with give or take 50% of them being women and girls. And close to one in four, so 23% uh, of women in Canada are immigrants. Interesting. And in this episode, we really will be digging into these myths uh, around immigrant women and the stereotypes that they that are painted on them and the harsh realities that they face because they are just that immigrant women. It's part of their identity. And we'll be looking at the realities and some stories from a personal guest as well. It wouldn't be the scaries without sharing the stark realities many immigrants face when arriving. But let me be clear when saying this is by no means exhaustive, but rather just a few of the key issues immigrant women face based on our research. So let's start off by discussing the poverty statistics that plague immigrant women. So statistics reveal that immigrant women are more likely to experience poverty compared to their male counterparts. In many cases, this disparity is due to those systemic barriers that limit their access to education, employment opportunities, and social services. So seeing as being as that like trail or like dependent on a man. As a result, immigrant women often find themselves trapped in cycles of poverty, struggling to provide for themselves and their families. Data from Statistics Canada reports that female immigrants in particular often have low incomes despite their usually higher level of education than Canadian-born women. In 2000, immigrant women on average earned 64% of the income of male immigrants. Mm -hmm. They are much less likely to have jobs and are more likely to be looking for jobs than male immigrants with university degrees. This situation is most pronounced for women from Asia and Africa, only 62.7% from Asia and 38% from Africa were working. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's quite a big discrepancy. Yeah. 64% compared to males. Yeah. 
So very concerning. Um, and we dig into pay equity. Canadian women still contend the income discrepancies compared to their male counterparts, which we've had an episode about a couple back. Um, on average, women in Canada earn about 89 cents for every dollar earned by a man. Uh, with new and recent immigrant women facing even greater disparities, earning over 20% less than Canadian born women unfortunately. In response, the Canadian government has actually taken steps to address these inequalities, including the implementation of the Pay Equity Act and various provincial legislations aimed at ensuring equal pay for women. Additionally, initiatives like the Racialized Newcomer Women Pilot Program have been introduced to provide support and resources for racialized immigrant women, though challenges persist in closing the gap fully. I feel like that we'll never be able to fully close that gap. Mm, it's going to take 100 or 200 years, whatever yeah, it was. 130 some years, yeah. So the next factor we are going to look at that immigrant women must grapple with is violence. Studies have shown that immigrant women are at a much higher risk of experiencing domestic violence and abuse compared to Canadian-born women. We're not going to dive deep on this because we covered a lot of the important generalized stats of gender-based violence in our very first episode. But it's important to note that immigrant women may be more vulnerable to domestic violence due to economic dependence, as we said, language barriers, and a lack of knowledge about community resources. So not even knowing where to go. Furthermore, newcomers traumatized by war or oppressive governments are much less likely to report physical or sexual violence to authorities for fear of further victimization and deportation. This leaves many immigrant women trapped in abusive relationships with nowhere to turn for assistance. And finally, the last key barrier for immigrant women that we're going to touch on is the difficulty entering the workplace. So this kind of goes hand in hand with that first step we talked about around poverty. Mm -hmm. So according to a report by the United Nations, approximately half of all international uh, immigrants or migrants are women. According to a report by the United Nations, approximately half of all international migrants are women, which highlights the significant impact immigrant women have on global migration patterns. However, their contributions are often overlooked and their struggles remain hidden in the shadows. Mm -hmm. Canada is often seen as a forward-thinking country with strong laws protecting human rights and promoting fairness, especially for women. However, there's still significant dis differences, especially for newcomer women when it comes to jobs in Canada. Immigrant women make up a big part of Canada's workforce. Statistics from 2022 show that out of over 4 million immigrant women in the workforce, almost 3 million were from visible minorities. And Im immigrants also make up most of the growth in Canada's workforce and population. Even among women in similar jobs, immigrant women often face extra challenges, as we've talked about. For every four women in leadership roles, only about one is an immigrant. Immigrant women executives tend to earn less as well and have a bigger pay gap compared to others. Hmm. The COVID-19 pandemic made things even tougher, especially for racialized newcomer women. They were most likely to work in industries hit the hardest by the pandemic, like hotels and restaurants. This led to big, big drops in wages, with the typical starting wage for immigrant women falling by over 11% between 2019 and 2020. Immigrant women's unpaid labor remains unrecognized, and when they engage in paid work, it is assumed that they are only suitable for low-skill jobs, often aligned to traditional low-value women's work, quote-unquote, like caring for the elderly, caring for children, cleaning, and cooking. Modern immigration policies favor those with money, high skills, official language capacity, and advanced education. Due to gender inequalities worldwide, women coming from countries where the gender equality gap is much higher, they face many challenges to meeting these criteria. 
So they're not even being set up for success. No. Income and education disparities in those countries mean women tend to have less money than men. Thus, valued skills are highly gendered and racialized. And much of the work women were raised to do, so like housework, is not considered a high skill. In addition, and no surprise here, women are often responsible for dependence, which makes acquiring higher education, marketable skills, and work experience very difficult. So these statistics paint a troubling picture of the challenges immigrant women face every day. However, behind each number is a story of resilience, strength, and determination. We're so incredibly honored to have a very special guest with us here today to share her story. Yay! Welcome, so, Victoria. Hello. Welcome! Thanks for having me. Super excited. <laughs> So we're pleased to share this space today with Victoria Flores, a woman whose life story is as rich and as varied as the many places she's called home. She was born in Bolivia, and her her early years were a series of new beginnings, moving from one city to another, which taught her resilience and adaptability from a young age. By the time she was 16, she had already lived in five different cities and attended nine schools. Wowza. Yeah. Her her move to Canada at 16 marked the beginning of her longest stay in one place. She is inspired by her mother's community work in Bolivia and pursued political science and sociology at the University of Regina. Uh, and Victoria's professional life reflects her commitment to fostering a welcoming community. From her initial role at the Regina Food Bank in their employment training program to her work at the Regina Open Door Society, where she began as a job developer, and she's now in the communications manager role, Victoria has dedicated over a decade in the nonprofit sector, much of it uh, working with newcomers to Regina and witnessing the stories and experiences of newcomers and refugees. So alongside her professional commitments, she chairs the Heritage Community Association, volunteers at the Regina Sexual Assault um, Hotline, and contributes to community projects through various consultations. And in her leisure time, if she's not busy enough, <laughs> she enjoys biking, cross-country skiing, par partner acrobatics, very cool, and gardening. So thank you again, Victoria. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's got to be so cool. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. um, I, You have to see Victoria do her partner acrobatics because it's very cool. I've just seen it on social media and it's, I'm like, I, my body does not. Is that a class? <laughs> like, is that an online thing? So I used to do gymnastics and I, many, many years ago, I found out about acro yoga, which in my head, I don't think of it as yoga. So I just think about partner acrobatics. And I found a community of people that do it. There's a smaller community growing in Regina, but it was mostly in Saskatoon and uh, different festivals across Canada and I'm going to one in Costa Rica in March. Oh my god, oh my that's so cool. so cool. It was like, this is like accessible gymnastics and it's so much fun because you just get to work with people and do really cool things and it's like, my body can do this. This is amazing. Wow. Yeah, I feel like that's the thing. I'm like, my my body will be like, <laughs> dear, dear Talitha, no. <laughs> Stop this now. You could do it. You could do it. There's many roles. <laughs> Okay, so um, although I would love to talk to you, Victoria, today about uh, yoga and acrobatics um, and partner yoga, uh, today we are talking to her about her lived experiences. But first, we are going to start off with some rapid fire questions. We just say these to, you know, get the blood flowing and the brain noodling. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, first one, Victoria, best piece of advice you've ever received? Was to 
do it scared or do it anyway. I like I went through a period of my time where I was anxious about things and I was thinking like, what if I'm not good enough or what if I fail or if I suck? And then someone said to me once like, but did you die? And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's like, well, just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. So anytime I'm feeling like, I don't know about this. It's yeah. like, what's the worst that can happen? And just run through my head of my, I have my list of like, is it illegal? Is it unethical? Am I going to die? <laughs> yeah, Any of those yeah, things. Yeah. Like, no, but just do it. Like if, if, doesn't go right at least I have a lesson to learn from so that's something that's really gotten me out of my like you know when you're your inner self you're like I'm not sure about this it's it it's been great I love that I love Mm -hmm. that do it scared yeah okay next one is a would you rather so and we got into a little Mm -hmm. bit in your bio and I know we're gonna get more into it into the questions but this one is when you moved here would you rather have ended up in a bigger city like Toronto or here in Regina I've thought about that a lot yeah um, especially because before moving to Regina, I lived in Virginia, which is a much big, bigger city. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it was so different. But looking back, I think I would have still picked Regina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yay us. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Yeah. <laughs> and why Why do you say that? I think there is a bigger opportunity to find yourself here. Whereas mm-hmm. for me in, in the bigger city, there is so much there's so much to do and stuff, but it, it, there's a lot of like predetermined for you, like bigger communities. Right. And being here, I had the opportunity to really find things about myself that I don't think I would have in another place. But also it's that idea of like little fish in a bigger pond yeah. type of thing. And yeah. I do like Regina. I, I like the size of the city because it's not small. It's no. not a small town, but it's not too big where I feel like everything isn't you know inaccessible or too far like when I lived in Virginia just to go to school was like a long bus ride and right you know my mom worked in DC and it was just like bus metro another metro another bus then work is like 45 minutes an hour later which is bananas yeah mm-hmm. and here it's just like 15 minutes everywhere there's enough to do and enough to like you know yeah. get you honestly when yeah. people live on the other side of the city for me, I'm like, Ugh. oh yeah, the North End, comm- no it's, chance. It's a commitment, <laughs> like, just it's just it's like 25 minutes, and then like I have cousins who yep. live elsewhere, and they're like, yeah. Talitha, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, it's hard. I know, I know. Yeah. When I was in high school, I was dating someone that lived like way, way north, and I yeah. used to drive there all the time. Now I like work downtown, live close, and I'm yeah. like, how did I do that? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> that was a commitment. Just, you yeah. obviously loved that person a lot Apparently. of the time. Yeah, that was love. <laughs> Um, okay, last one and my favorite one of all the rapid mm-hmm. fire questions. What is your scary? I think apathy. I think when people see things that are going wrong in the world and it's like not my problem, I can't do anything about it. Mm. And when you have a world full of that, then you have a world full of n- people who are not making community better. And I've had a lot of conversations lately with so many things happening in the world of people saying, well, just like, what can I do about them? Like, there's so much you can do. There's so much all of us can do. But if everyone is just like, not my problem, I'm scared to live in a world like that. I I like when people are passionate about things, when people care and like put action to the things they care about. Yes, very much the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that is absolutely terrifying. Just when people are like, I think, I mean, that's also so much what the scaries is about is like, there's all these, there are these really scary things that are happening, but like, Mm -hmm. here's some, here's some tangible things that you can do about it. We can't change the world with a podcast. I mean, maybe we can, but we're working on it. Yeah. We're doing the best that we can. Um, But yeah, like just some small steps and yeah, Mm -hmm. trying to care. Okay, wow. Well, that was deep, but yeah, that was good. That was a good one. Here's that's the meat. How we start. Yeah, that's how we start. 
<laughs> so that was just ripping off the band-aid to get yeah. her all ready for these really deep questions. So let's kick things off. Uh, so number one question for you, Victoria, can you share um, and reflect on your own identity as an immigrant woman, considering your move at such a young age? And how has those experiences in different locations, how has that shaped you in your sense of self? For sure. So as you mentioned earlier, I've moved a lot. I think by the time I was 16, I lived in three different countries and it was different languages, different cultures, different friends. And it has been really, so now when I work at Open Door, right? So Mm -hmm. I meet a lot of newcomers and I, when I'm working there, I don't think myself in the same um, stage in life because I've been here for so long. And even when I travel and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm Canadian. I'm like, am I? Like, <laughs> where, where am I from? <laughs> like, where, mm-hmm. where, you know, and this idea of like, is where you're born, you're part of your identity. Mm-hmm. I, I left Bolivia when I was 14. And I think if I went back there now, I would feel so foreign because my adult life has been entirely here. And all of those experiences that shape who you are as an adult, we're not there and the country mm-hmm. has changed so much and the culture is so different. And then even living in the States, when I moved from there to here, it was like when I first moved there, I didn't speak English. That was a whole thing in its, in its own. Yep. <laughs> and then the culture there was really interesting because it was a lot like a stereotypical American movie. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Canada and it was very, very different. And a little while ago, I started watching Degrassi again. And oh, yeah. so good. I, the first time I watched Degrassi, I was in the States. And I saw no difference between the, like, Degrassi High School and the high school I was going right. to. But mostly because I was still learning English. Like, it was yeah. all new. Yeah. So it all mixed together. And then re-watching Degrassi, I was like, oh, my God, this is so Canadian. <laughs> like, this is Canadian, Canadian. Yeah. Right? It's, like, very different from when I was in the States. Yeah. So it has been, like, a adventure after adventure, even within Bolivia, moving from one city to another and then a new school. And, you know, like, the type of school it was, it meant everybody was different. So it was always just like, hey, I'm the new person. And yeah. sometimes it's scary because it's, like, how do I make friends? For sure. How do you really? navigate yeah. the the cultures and microcultures of places and but also it's like oh i'm the new person nobody knows right. me so i can be whoever i want that's true like, you have a blank canvas mm-hmm. fun fact yeah everyone in bolivia knows me as sarah because that's my first name oh my god <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> okay so when i first moved to the states i was going to school right in the first day and they're taking attendance and they usually write the name like last name first name kind of like that's yeah. so it's a different order and I have like two first name, middle name, and two last names. So I think the teacher just panicked because he saw all these names on this so this thing, and he's like names. trying to find. And Sarah is common. I don't know, but like Victoria was the last one there. So he's like Victoria Flor, Victoria. I'm like, I guess that's me. <laughs> I was like, I can be Victoria. I'm gonna be Victoria from now. Oh my god! So I that love I could, that. Yeah. So in Bolivia, like nobody would know me as Victoria, but here, yeah. anytime someone hears Sarah, they're like, "Who's Sarah?" I'm like, "That's me." Like, no, you're not. I'm like, "Yes, I." Am. You're you're so not a Sarah in my <laughs> no, eyes. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's cool. so funny. Right? I so. love that. Um, just like a, a side question because mm-hmm. I've heard this from a few different um immigrant women specifically mm-hmm. um and it's when they are visual a visual minority yeah. and they come to canada at like a teenage or even just as an adult um mm-hmm. and and then they go back 
to their home country and they're like, I don't fit in because I'm othered here. I'm othered there. Mm -hmm. Like, have you experienced that? And what is that like? I haven't gone back to Bolivia since I left, but I have that fear. Yeah. And even like anytime I went to the States because there's a much larger Hispanic community. Right. It feels very different. When I moved here, there wasn't anybody that spoke Spanish. So I only spoke Spanglish with my dad. And and it was great for learning English. I mean, I meant I learned English a lot faster than, right. than I would have in the States. But at the same time, I my Spanish got stuck at like a greater level. So if you ask me to write something, you know, like an academic piece in Spanish, I'd be like, I have I can't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But so even thinking about going back makes me nervous because it, it, you know, it's like, I, I didn't grow up there after 14. Right. Like, and everything is so different. Like your life as a child and teenager and your life as like a, a older teenager and an adult mm-hmm. are very different. And so I have that fear, even, you know, like how would I navigate an adult life there? Or just like, mm-hmm. yeah. even when I talk to people, I feel like, am I, am I, do I sound right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> And like the fact that, you know, like you're born, yeah. your birth certificate is there yeah. or wherever. Um, and, but then you'd feel like you don't fit in because mm-hmm. you've, yeah. So you're like, you should be viewed as like, you're so, you've experienced so much. And like, you have this wonderful mosaic of like experiences, mm-hmm. cultural experiences, but instead I've, from what I've heard and obviously never experienced it myself, but yeah, that it's like very othered. You had mentioned how contemplating how your life might be different if you had moved to a larger city in Canada or had a different initial circle of friends upon Mm -hmm. arrival. Can you elaborate on those thoughts and how they relate to your sense of belonging? Sure. So when I first moved here, my dad, because I moved with my dad and he took me to Indian Head and I moved from Virginia and my school had like 4,000 kids. Oh my God. And it was huge. Like, it wasn't even a city. It was, like, a county and a bunch of other counties. And just, like, it was just huge suburbs. So, yeah, when I first moved here, it was um, a tiny town. And I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, what is happening? And yeah. You know, he had a bed and breakfast there. And I was like, absolutely, there's no way I'm going to live. Absolutely not. Like, you cannot do this to me. And so, I was like, okay, we'll move to Regina. So, I moved here and it was, it was better. But, again, it was very, very different. And I was... It, it was all new, over new, over new, right? Like I just lived in the States for a year and a half. So I had that experience. And then suddenly I'm here in Canada and it's like, okay, this is new too. And it's kind of similar, but still it's different. And like people are different. The city itself is different because it's not a bunch of collection of suburbs. And so it was an interesting way to to get acclimated to a, a, a newer city. And... But it was great. I, I really liked it. I, I grew up here, graduated high school here, went to university here. But I have friends uh, that I still am in contact with in the States and they've moved different places and some have moved to Canada to larger cities and their lives are completely different, right? Mm-hmm. Not in a good or bad way, just different. And I often wonder, like, what if I would have been to uh, Montreal or Toronto or, right. you know, where there are larger uh, communities of people from different Latin American countries? Like, would would have done something different with my life? Would I be more involved with those communities? Would I have 
probably going back to Bolivia sooner. Like, what would life be like? Because I feel like your community has such a huge impact in who you are as a person and what you end up doing, good or bad. So, you know, here I felt like I could just build whatever my interpretation of, you know, what a life is. Right. And it didn't have a lot of influences from you know, a lot of people from uh, Bolivian community or Latin American community, but I often wonder, like, what if I was in Toronto, which is a much larger place, and, like, would, would that be different? And not good or bad, but just different, and how mm-hmm. would that impact who I am today? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, and I mean, we've d- talked about the, like, melting pot versus um, multiculturalism, and while I think that Regina does the best that we can to be very multicultural it can be very melty potty in that there's not large communities of different immigrants if that makes sense like there's like there are large communities certain, but yeah from yeah. certain places definitely yeah. you see it, and you see it right yeah. and but like to my knowledge there are about seven bolivian people in this city wow <laughs> yeah know that every yeah. single one of them <laughs> yeah. yeah and they all fight each other eventually <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. There might be more, but like I've only, no, I've, sure, you yeah. know, and I've, I've, I've always asked and usually the, you will find like Facebook groups for certain for communities sure. yeah. and that kind of thing, but nothing here. And again, when I first moved here, I didn't even meet anybody who spoke Spanish for a long time, right. which was really weird. Yeah. So, and the first time I saw some, like, I think I heard somebody in a store and I'm like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> you talking Hola. to me? Yeah. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. That was being so like shell shocking to go from even I was, I don't, I've never been to Virginia, but I imagine it's definitely, there's mm-hmm. a larger community there. Much, than, much larger. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So reflecting on your experiences in the States versus Canada, like we just chatted about, you mentioned the difference in the availability of first generation immigrant Latina um, or Latino community. So how did this disparity affect your ad- adaptation to, or cultural adjustment in Canada because of that missing, I guess, community here? Or not as pre- prevalent. I think it often made it feel like some things feel foreign. It, it feels like there's an expectation that I should know these things, or people assume mm. that I'm familiar with things hmm. related to. And again, it, it's really tough because living in, in Bolivia, which is in South America, and then meeting a lot of people like people from Central America in the states, you realize how much different there is, and, and you right. know, like there's different languages and cultures and you know it's all different countries but once you are there everyone just bulks you in into the same category right, right? you're just latino yeah it's just like all of you are the same yeah no we're not we're really not the same yeah. um but so living in the states i really saw and got to know a lot of different cultures and the way people lived and you know the just realized how different they were from me, even though we shared the same language and mm-hmm. similar histories of colonization and that type of thing. It was still so different to each other, but then to anyone who's not, you know, like Americans or Canadians, we're all just the same. Right. And then being here, not having anybody from that community, I felt like sometimes I was like the representation of what like some, like a Latino is mm-hmm. or like a, you know, person from, spanish-speaking countries and i'm like i'm really not yeah and sometimes it it was tough because suddenly there's this expectation that i have to represent well because you are the you are the sole yeah right you're the spokesperson you're the yeah 
and and some things that I would do is like, well, this is how I did it. And it might be even just my family, the way my family does something. It's not even like a Bolivian thing. Mm -hmm. But suddenly someone might interpret that as like, oh, all Spanish-speaking people are like this or do this. And it's like, no. <laughs> the stereotypes and the bias and the all of that just like perpetuates on to, especially if you like get tokenized in that mm -hmm. way. They're like, hey, you're, you know, Spanish. Yeah. 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 And like, especially then that you're Spanish. Yeah, so like, like, you must, and you're like, sir, I'm no. not actually, I'm <laughs> Latino. Yeah. Okay. So you had talked about just briefly in your last uh, answer about colonialism and like histories of colonialism. So we recently just had um, a guest on who talked about violence against indigenous women. And obviously colonialism has a huge impact on that. Um, so I'm just curious as to like what your perspectives are on colonialism. Have you had conversations with indigenous people from Canada about mm -hmm. colonialism and, and what was that like and what the similarities are and that sort of thing? For sure. So um, my family, uh, especially my mom's side, we are a mix of Quechua people in all the colonial people, like, you know, the colonizing countries that came to. So like as most Latin American people are, yeah. it's, you're a mix of everything, but mm -hmm. there's a very distinct part of my family um, that I know about that is indigenous, right? So growing up in Bolivia, there is, uh, I saw a lot of the racism and stereotyping against indigenous people and often experienced it in a really weird way um, because in school, people were really racist towards indigenous people. And they were like, oh, but not you. I'm like, I literally look like that person. Like, mm, why what? not me? Yeah. Right? But it's because they knew me, right? And they, they, mm. They humanized me, yeah. but they didn't humanize other people. So I, I was very familiar with how marginalized communities, the treatment that they received just because of how they were born and yeah. how that impacts their lives. And my mom also, she worked in uh, rural communities in Bolivia with different indigenous communities with a number of projects. So I got to see firsthand the work that she did, those communities. And my grandma spoke Quechua. Uh, so I... A, a small part of my life, I had a lot of uh, firsthand experience within mm -hmm. that part of, of my culture. Um, and when I moved here, I I remember being told about, with slurs, but I, I don't want to repeat, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. these people, yeah. right? And I'm like, excuse me, what, what do you mean, right? And it's just, it would be flashbacks to being back in Bolivia where people being racist towards indigenous people there. And I'm like, oh, so you guys got colonized too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, this is similar, right? And when I was younger, I didn't think about it the same way I do now that I have a lot more knowledge and education on the right. issue. But I just knew it was wrong, right? And I would be told, oh, you need to watch out for these people. They're this and they're that. And like all the most awful stereotypes. And I'm like, why? Like what? You know, and, and because I had experienced it just in a different country, in a different right. language, in a different way, I was like, well, you guys are doing the same. And my first reaction was not to be like, okay, I'll be careful. Be like, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be your friend because, you know. And the more I got to learn about history, I realized historical impact that colonialism has in communities mm -hmm. and, and the way it separates people and the way that sometimes people don't understand the impact and effect it has in like generational uh, issues. Mm -hmm. And because they're not able to understand that, they just are so surface level about what they're uncomfortable with. Right. And it was really disappointing for me to see that that was mm -hmm. also 
here and I, I notice it more in the prairies because whenever I go to other provinces it's not as visual or as yeah. out loud I'm, I'm not sure if the experience is the same but here it was definitely a bit of a shock when I first moved here just seeing how openly racist people were and I was just like well I thought Canadians were nice but yeah apparently not. no no I mean it's it's nice to have how people think about us but like the history is not nice and yeah the experiences are mm -hmm. not nice that's for sure um thank you for sharing that yeah. uh so you mentioned feeling pressure to conform to certain expectations as a newcomer including the idea to be the right kind of immigrant can you discuss how this notion has influenced your journey and interactions within your community here at the beginning, not so much, but I remember being in the States and there's a lot of rhetoric about immigrants and immigrants are taking your jobs and yeah, like all right. these terrible things. And I always felt this like, well, I'm not taking your job. I'm like, I don't want your job. I don't want to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, first of all, I'm 14, so get over it. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, I that was already in my mind, right? Like I, yeah. being in North America and... So in a way, I felt like, okay, well, I have to prove that I'm, like, good and uh -huh. I'm valuable, you know. And I think we all add value in some way and we all want to prove our value. And there's nothing wrong with it. But it, I, I always felt like, okay, how do I demonstrate that my place here is earned and I, like, no one should question my being here and that I'm contributing. And I'm, like, a good contributing member to society, which is a good thing. But... The fact that I always thought about that as like, okay, am I doing this right? Or like, am I doing yeah. enough? Or, you know, like even with, I don't know, being in school and people, you know, like teenagers being teenagers and me being terrified. I'm like, well, no, because then they're just going to think like every other immigrant kids like me if I do something wrong. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I feel like, and I've, I've had the same conversation with a lot of uh, other people who are immigrants as well about like really taking on that burden of making sure that you don't do something wrong that can gets like blanketed over everybody and the more i reflect on that is like should that really be my job as a teenager to just really ponder on that so much yeah and, that's a heavy a, weight to bear totally yeah. yeah and in a way it's like it's it's a good incentive to like do great things and really a achieve a lot but at the same time it's like it was a lot of stress i did not need yeah so that is a lot of pressure for a young person that you definitely don't need to take on. <laughs> yeah. How do you navigate the tension between assimilation and preserving your cultural heritage in your daily life as an immigrant woman here? Making a lot of food. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think because I moved here so young, it, it was, it, I feel like my, my identity is such a mix and even just talking to my family and, and, you know, like what, what is their identity and how similar is it to mine? Like, I'm, I'm often not sure if I'm like, have I preserved enough? And again, not having gone back mm -hmm. and, you know, even being in, in such smaller communities, like I don't even think I have any friends that are like from any Latin American country that are just like close friends that we can like, Oh, Hey, we do this. Or, you know, mm -hmm. like I know people and it's great to, connect with them and talk about different traditions or like joke or that kind of thing. But it's, it's definitely been a hard part being so isolated from people that mm -hmm. I would say would have similar cultures or similar traditions. And I think it's just with my parents, right. Just like the, like around the holidays or like certain foods that we eat at certain 
you know times of the year or like those kinds of things but outside of that it's been really a desert of like cultural sharing not and i don't i don't see it as a bad thing necessarily because it wasn't taken away from me mm-hmm. it's just it wasn't there and i can choose to do more to to be more close to it but it it doesn't feel like i'm missing something necessarily right. but it's something that you know i could have more of but it's not the end of the world if if i'm missing a little bit of it Hmm. That makes sense. Yep. For those who don't know Regenerate Open Door Society, we will put a link in the show notes so you can go check them out and donate and get involved and all that sort of thing. Uh, But in your role there, what are some common challenges you observe among immigrant women regarding integration and acceptance into Canadian society? I think there's, you know, I often get asked, especially because I'm in, in the communications role there and interviews, like, tell me about the immigrants. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's so yeah. <laughs> just tell me about all of the immigrants <laughs> right because you'll be like you know what do newcomers think about this it's like well i mean certain newcomers think this way and yeah. you know, certain think that way uh, because everybody is different and they have different experiences and i think what i've learned it, it, it's one that's one of those things that they all come with such different lived experiences mm-hmm. impacted by their age, their culture, their religion, um, their so- socioeconomic status, and also the reason why they moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh, someone who came here as a refugee who had no choice, they were just saying, you're going here and you're sent to a country and yeah. you know, someone picks you up at the airport. Their lived experience is so much different than someone that said like, hey, Canada looks cool. I should move there. Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. make a conscious decision to immigrate here. Yeah. So their experience is also much, much different. And I think the the constant, though, that, that, that I think would be common among everybody is that they all want to just find home and find a place here and find a community and, and feel like they belong, whether it's, you know, in their small circle or in the community as a whole. And I think everyone tries to do that in their own way. And what I really enjoy about my role is connecting to other community organizations or to people to to make people feel that welcoming spirit, right? right. And just because I've been there and uh, and it was a long time ago, but I've been that new person there. I'm like, okay, like, where do I go? What do I do? How is, does life work here? Mm-hmm. And I know the, how stressful that can be. And I can't even imagine how stressful that would be if you're here with a family and you have to figure that out not only for yourself, but for your entire family. Right. Right. So it's just an added stress. And I think for the most part, people are just, you know, try to have a positive outlook and try to figure things out as they can. And whenever they're able to find whether it's a friend or a community organization or people within their community to show them the ropes makes a huge difference in their experience of feeling like they belong in a place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, obviously people are coming with different experiences. And as we've already kind of gone over, there's a lot of different reasons why people come to Canada or the States or wherever they immigrate to. So working at the Regina Bador Society, you've likely encountered a diverse range of experiences among migrant women. So how do you see the intersection of their identities influencing their experiences? I think it it often impacts how they're able to settle and feel at home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in in Sometimes I've met uh, women who have a lot of community support. They have a lot of support at home. 
they feel confident in either getting a job or an education and making friends. So they have a really, I don't want to say easy, but you know, a, a much easier time um, feeling like this is their community mm-hmm. and, and getting settled and establishing a life here. And uh, especially when things are like their lived experience is similar to what we would have been like here, right? Like if the country they came from is similar enough to Canada, their religion, mm-hmm. the culture, those kinds of things. Um, but there are, you know, in instances where, you know, there might be issues of domestic violence or they might not have support at home or their language level is really low. You know, it, it can be really isolating uh, for women, especially, right? Because usually even if they have a family, sometimes, you know, the dad's working and the kids are at school and then mom's like either at home or trying to find a job or, you know, doing whatever she can. But it, it there's a lot of isolation mm. because it's, you know, certain things are expected of her. And especially when there are things like language level or language barriers or cultural religious barriers to connecting with other communities. Yeah. I can't speak for them, but I've seen yeah. in conversation, you know, talking to anecdotally with some people, like how that can make them feel like they're not part of this community yet, mm-hmm. or they want to go home, or like they're not feeling supported. Right. And it's it's really tough to, especially in cases of domestic violence or in cases where, um, you know, the religious practices are so different, and it's not necessarily right or wrong, but they're so different from here that you know, somebody that she might be telling uh, some issues that she's having, they can't relate. And the advice they have, you know, just doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So because all of those things are part of who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And you can't just say like, oh, we'll just get rid of that. You're in Canada now. Yeah. And exactly. just like deal with it. Right. And because if they do that, then they, they would probably just feel like, well, no, I, I can't just leave parts of my identity to fit in or to feel like I'm at home. Well, and it's right. like, I think that's, again, the whole part about the multiculturalism exactly. in Canada is that yeah. that's who we are. It's like you can be who exactly who you are and also be a part of a community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Considering the varied cultural communities present in Canada, how do you perceive the impact of having a larger cultural community on the identity formation of immigrant women? I think having people around you that have similar experiences make a huge difference on whether you can keep traditions and feel connected to people faster. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, we've had large um, arrivals of Afghan refugees, right? And within those arrivals, many people, as soon as they come here, you know, they're here for a little bit and then they will move to Toronto or Calgary or like larger cities. And one of the main reasons it's because they either have family or friends there, but also because they have a larger communities there mm. and they feel like life will be a lot easier, which I can understand a hundred percent just from firsthand experience. Just yeah. being in a place where nobody is like you can be really tough. Totally. Yeah. And if you've already come with a lot of, you know, like, especially as a refugee fleeing a war zone and having all this stress and trauma, like you don't, that is not necessary to add that to all of that. Yeah. So I think having people around you that you can relate to without having to build those relationships, there's just a common ground that we all, whether it's language, culture, anything like that, it's like, okay, I get you. Like you and I, Mm -hmm. okay, same, you know, we can relate. 
it makes a big difference in in feeling at home at a place. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think is a tough situation too because if if somebody only connects with their community, it's like how do you then connect with the community at large? Right. right? Totally. So, for example, when I uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I first moved here, there wasn't anybody that spoke Spanish. There wasn't anybody that, you know, that was remotely, I felt like we could connect. But that meant I was like 100% immersed in the language and culture. And I had to learn English fast if I wanted to know what was happening right. around me. But when I lived in the States, we had larger ESL classes. And within the ESL classes, there were a lot of people that spoke Spanish. So after you were done class, you could just go back to speaking Spanish. Right. <laughs> So when whenever I would go back back to visit my friends, a lot of them were still either learning English or still in ESL classes, but it was because they just had to go to school. You know, they went to class and then at home they spoke in Spanish. With friends they spoke in Spanish and there was enough around them that not speaking English wasn't like a hindrance to living their life. Right, right? yeah. And eventually everyone learned English, but it, it took a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So... Whenever you find community that is similar to you, things a lot are, are a lot easier. People feel more welcoming. But at the same time, if you only rely on that community, then it's, you know, like now that you're in a place where there's people from all over the place, it can be isolating mm-hmm. on both ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a really tough place to mm-hmm. be in, right? Like it's great to have community around you that you can relate to. But if you only rely on that community, then you miss out and meeting new people. Yeah. And and because eventually everyone has to like to live your daily life. Not you can't be just around your own cultural community, right? For sure. So yeah. Eventually, you'll have to meet other people, and which might things might be tougher if you only rely on. Yeah, like that comp- yeah. safety net. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So looking ahead, what are some hopes or aspirations that you have for yourself and other immigrant women navigating similar journeys? Um, I, I really want people to be able to find a space where they feel like they can make their home here without any expectation of like returning or paying for like having been here, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I, earlier I mentioned like I always felt like I had to achieve certain things mm-hmm. or... I think giving back to your community is always great and we should, everyone should do that so we can all grow together. But I, you know, I I feel like as people move here and we're living in a time where there's so much happening in the world, but there's also so much negative rhetoric around immigrants, around people taking things or not assimilating or not doing things right and I think having so much information information available online can make it tough for mm-hmm. someone who, you know, might be feeling a certain way and already feeling unwelcome and seeing the wrong thing might make them feel like, okay, what, you know, mm-hmm. how can I do things right? Or right. So I really want for anyone who's moved anywhere, whether it's Canada, the States or any other country, for them to be able to feel like, okay, I I am here and I can make a space here and I can make my own community here and, and, and grow to be part of that without feeling like there's a debt that I need to pay to be feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. Like you need to have like a return on investment kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like you owe something. Yeah. So last question for you. What advice do you have for folks like us to support and better empower new Canadians? 
I think the first thing is just get to know each person individually as like as a person mm-hmm. right and and I think everyone will share their identity as a new Canadian on their own I've had I've met people who are so happy to be like yeah I'm from this country this is my culture this is my language but I've also met people who are very uncomfortable having to share that part of themselves mm-hmm. because in a way they might feel like you know why can't you just see me as Canadian Right. Right. Even even last year when we were doing uh, some events around World Refugee Day and we were uh, lining up some uh, speakers for things like that, um, like this was a great learning experience for myself. But you know, referring to people as a refugee, they're like, "Well, why are you calling me a refugee? I'm in Canada already." I'm like, well, "I'm so sorry. Like, what 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 would you like to you know what is the the term I should be using, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you can say former refugee or just this person who was or who came here, right? Mm-hmm. So that that part of their journey doesn't have to stick with them forever. Right. Right. And I think meeting people and, and letting them kind of lead, like, who they want to share of themselves to you and just celebrating those parts. And then you eventually, like, once you're comfortable with anybody, you can learn other things. For sure, But yeah. I think being open to to being uncomfortable also right Mm -hmm. because sometimes you might meet somebody who does things completely different and you know in in some cases like yeah i I do think some cultural religious things like i know you guys had a show about female genital mutilation Mm -hmm. earlier which you know if someone were to share that i'd absolutely be like no that's wrong (laughs) like i don't care what you say yeah (laughs) you know like um but there are other you know cultural practices that are just different yeah Mm -hmm. and but sometimes can make people uncomfortable yeah and that's okay right Mm -hmm. like being uncomfortable is okay and it's you know so celebrating those things or being being open to that curiosity of like getting to know people getting to know what they bring to communities and Mm -hmm. and i think all of that makes communities a lot more interesting and totally fun and then you get a lot more not just diversity but a lot more um, innovation totally in all kinds of ways right and i think that when you had said it perfectly is like it's okay to be uncomfortable and so often when people get uncomfortable they like put up a wall and they don't want to know anymore and they get defensive but if you are uncomfortable like lean into that curiosity and ask questions because oftentimes people are willing to share if you Mm -hmm. ask from a place of curiosity instead of like a place of try to tokenize them Mm -hmm. or like out them or whatever it is yeah absolutely yeah then you know in the instead of like why would you do this more like oh tell me more about this yes exactly yeah so in in, because it's a very interesting place when you as i mentioned earlier when you suddenly become the representative of a thing (laughs) You are, yeah. It's like, tell me about how people do this in this whole entire region of the world. It's like, well, this is how I do things. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, Victoria. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for having, having me. me. Of no, course. Really- of course. So we heard from Victoria. She had some really great tips on what we could do to support immigrant women and just all newcomers in general. And so what can we do? What can we take it from here to do? So supporting immigrant women and creating a safer, better and more inclusive world, as always, involves individual actions, government policy changes, systematic changes. There's a number of things, Mm -hmm. but we can start somewhere. So from a political standpoint, immigration is a joint responsibility of the federal and provincial governments. The federal government used to take the lead, but this change in recent decades with provinces taking a more active role in immigrant recruitment, selection, and settlement. Municipalities are also increasingly involved as tasks are handed down from higher to lower levels of government. 
And over the past several decades, economic immigration pathways have been expanded, while pathways for family members and refugees have been minimized. Mm. There have been efforts to balance economic priorities with family and humanitarian responses. Emphasis remains on attracting the best and the brightest immigrants. Which they talk about that like is like that brain drain is like from um, like outside countries. Like there's this brain drain where they are recruiting nurses and doctors and lawyers from other prop like other mm-hmm. countries, and then now there's this like drain of people who have all these skills in this country, and now you're leaving them worse off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and there has been a massive increase in temporary foreign workers as well, along with the rising concerns about the nature and the effects of temporary foreign worker programs. Um, There's also been criticism of how Canada deals with its migrant caregivers. This has led Mm -hmm. to recent reform efforts, um, but they tend to be too little or too late. So what and can and should our government do now? Well, some suggestions that we found uh, were they need to balance family and humanitarian immigration streams with economic streams, uh, regularly and consistently conduct gender-based analysis of immigration policies and programs, and reassess how immigration eligibility for women and men is determined, um, design more and better public engagement mechanisms that ensure the voices of immigrant women can be heard and acted upon ensure immigrant women have access to community resources by increasing support to service providers and advocacy groups working with them they could deliver practical support to immigrant women such as safe affordable housing language training and accessible and affordable child care and finally they could tackle discrimination against immigrants and promote diversity equity inclusion in general yeah some big, some big, some big things to tackle. Focus but. on the human and the people versus, yes. yeah. I mean, obviously there's economic gains and I, the economy and the, 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 but like there's still people at the end of the day. Yeah. So taking it a bit closer to home, what can you do? What can you and I do? Well, here are a few to take into consideration and we challenge you to commit to at least one over the next month mm-hmm. if you can. So as always, you can start by educating yourself, listen to podcasts, listen to audiobooks, listen to consume any type of thing. Take time to learn about the unique challenges faced by immigrants and especially immigrant women and do better to understand their experiences and how you can support them. Next is to listen and amplify voices by sharing their stories, perspectives and achievements. As always, be an ally to immigrant women by standing in solidarity with them, advocating for their rights and speaking out against injustices. Use your privilege and platform to uplift the voices of immigrant women and work towards creating a more just and equitable society for all. Second last is to advocate for policy change and vote for people who promote the rights and well-being of immigrant women, including access to education, healthcare, legal support, and protection from discrimination and violence. And finally, but certainly not least, is combat discrimination and stereotypes against immigrant women and immigrants and anybody in your everyday interactions by standing up against xenophobic attitudes, racist language, and harmful stereotypes that perpetuate prejudice and marginalization. So that's what we have for you today, folks. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, And it always is. But that's why we do this, because there's not enough people talking about these things. So we are. 
So thank you so much for joining us today as we confronted these terrifying but real-life statistics impacting women and girls every single day right here at home and where you are too, most likely. So please mm-hmm. share this episode, rate it, subscribe wherever you are listening, and stay tuned for more ways to make a positive impact. Together, we can make the world a little less scary for women and girls. Follow us on Instagram at RaceHerCo and at scaries.podcast and on TikTok at RaceHerCo. Remember, change starts with awareness and action, which we are doing here today. Thank you for being a part of the Scaries community and making this world a little less scary to exist as a woman. Bye. Bye.